Welcome to All Places Together. Here we believe that our stories are connected to one another and rooted in God's radical love for diverse creation. Wherever you are, whoever you are, however you are, take a deep breath. Here's a story for you. A story called Going Home. to comfort her sad daughter. Esther was played by Judy Garland, and it was the musical debut of the song Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Written by Hugh Martin and Ralph Blaine, the song is about finding a way to have Christmas merriment, even when things aren't the way you wanted them or how you'd hoped they'd be. The lyrics have been rewritten over the decades, but through all of the revisions, the line, Make the Yuletide Gay, stayed in. But the truth is, making the Yuletide gay when you're gay is not always so simple. Being part of the LGBTQIA2S plus community at the holidays may mean breaking traditions, breaking expectations, and finding a new way forward with chosen family by your side. In many ways, this is what the incarnation of Jesus is all about. Making the Yuletide gay is actually quite faithful. It's about expanding the ways we see God in the world how we embody God's love in our lives, and then share that love with others. In this Make the Yuletide Gay series, we'll have both podcasts and an online Advent calendar to guide us in our exploration of the joyous and hard parts for the LGBTQIA2S plus community. We'll hear words of grace from queer Christians for when life looks different than what tradition says. We'll hear advice from parents of queer teens on how to support children and youth and how to grieve lost expectations and take hope in new ones. We'll encounter scripture in a whole new way, and you'll discover meaningful ways to live out God's love in your life and in your community. I'm thrilled to be sharing this journey with Pastor Katie Miles Wallace of Technicolor Ministries located in Southwest Texas. Katie uses they, them pronouns. Technicolor Ministries has a very similar heart to APT. And so in the spirit of true collaboration, Katie is taking the lead on two of the conversations in this series, and then I'll be leading the other two. We've also collaborated on the online Advent calendar that's being hosted on Technicolor's website. 
Each day, you'll be linked to a video, article, image, or prompt to help you expand your understanding of Christmas, which is part of what it means to make the Yuletide gay. In today's episode, Pastor Katie is joined by Pastor Alfie Wyatt. Alfie uses they-them pronouns and is a pastor in the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. They are currently on leave from call. Alfie earned their Master's of Divinity from Wartburg Theological Seminary. They are a devoted cat parent and love to play games. The focus of today's conversation is about how to relate to family that is not affirming of your identity or sexuality. Alfie shares from their personal experience in a way that is vulnerable and honest and also invites personal reflection and growth for those of us who are listening in. For those of you who are making the hard decision about going home this Yuletide, we hope that Alfie's wisdom can provide some counsel for you. Now, if you aren't faced with that difficult decision, this episode is still for you. Hearing Alfie's story will help you better love, have compassion for, and be a more supportive ally for the LGBTQIA2S plus people in your life. Even those of us who are part of the community still have things to learn from our siblings who experience intersecting marginalizations. One last thing, if you have trauma related to non-affirming family, this episode may be triggering. Please do what you need to do to take care of yourself, even if that includes turning off the episode. Here's pastors Alfie and Katie on making the Yuletide gay when you have non-affirming family. Hey, APT listeners, this is Pastor Katie Miles Wallace of Technicolor Ministries down in southwestern Texas Synod. Excited to bring you uh, episode one of Make the Yuletide Gay featuring Pastor Alfie Wyatt. All right, Alfie, if you don't mind just telling us a little bit about yourself and who you are and uh, maybe uh, dive a little bit into why we have chosen you or why you think you fit uh, the non-affirming family position for the holidays. My name is Reverend Alfie Wyatt. I use they, them pronouns, and I am genderqueer and pansexual. I have, I'm currently on leave from call in the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. I'm uh, not with a congregation right now, but I am seeking a congregation and hope to find one soon, too, that is supportive. Um, I was approached about being on the podcast because i just been casually talking about, like, what it was like to have a family that wasn't always the most supportive. Um, <clears throat> my parents have certainly tried to, well, scratch that, not exactly tried, but <laughs> they, they have listened to what I've said and, and haven't necessarily always taken it to heart to see exactly the best way that we could build a relationship going forward after I came out. Um, so in regards to like what it would be like to like not have a, an affirming family, my family doesn't really go out of their way to use proper pronouns or they will only use my birth name. They will not use Alfie, despite the fact that I have gone through the process to legally change my name. Um, and it's what's on all my documents and they have a challenge in terms of how they refer to me with, they only use female um, traditional female ways to refer to me, daughter, um, sister, all those things. And they have struggled to kind of really change any language or how they've seen me, um, and how that 
has worked out since coming out. So having to navigate that during the holidays is never fun and is very hard for a lot of people. So I think that's kind of why it's a good fit for me to do this. That must be really hard. Um, I think as we were thinking about the, the putting together of this episode, imagining that maybe we didn't have the ideal uh, family reaction either, but, but not necessarily knowing the full lived experience of that. We were thinking that, that you would probably be stuck in a, a decision point, a decision point between whether to go home or not. Um, mm. Have what has your experience been with that? Have you decided to go home sometimes and not others? When I've made the decision to go home or not, it's always been based on, at that moment, can I kind of deal with the fallout that I know will come from going home? Um, that makes sense. Because right. it's an, it takes an emotional toll to go home and to subject yourself in a lot of ways. Um to being consistently misgendered, misnamed, and all those other things. And it takes an emotional toll it's hard. Um, I know, for instance, like, the first time that I went back to my parents after coming out to them, it was incredibly hard. And it wasn't, it was for Thanksgiving that year that I'd come out. And I, it was the first time I'd come out. I didn't know how they were going to react and seeing me, um, because I came out to them um, by email and telephone call because I was living at that point in time over eight hours away from them. Um, so I was like, we will see how this goes and how that works out. Um, and my family has always been kind of treated it like we just don't talk about kind of like a don't ask, don't tell policy type idea of we're not going to talk about it, so it's not awkward, but it's always just kind of the elephant in the room. And I think that that's potentially more damaging than just, like, it was outright hostility. Because when it's treated like this idea of, like, an elephant in the room, something we don't talk about, there, you always wonder what is authentic to what they're actually feeling and experiencing and what you're perceiving. So... When I have to make the decisions about going home or not, it's about, like, am I going to be able to handle it emotionally? Like, if I'm not in the best place because I've been having a rough time, for instance, it's not necessarily the smartest idea for me to go back to my parents. Um, right. And then if I feel like I can, like, I have to determine, like, how long it's healthy for me to be there. And when... I kind of take that into account. Like, I think about a lot of different things in terms of, like, am I staying with my parents? What else is going on when I'm there? Like, what type of time frame do I have off? Um, and this kind of gets into the second aspect of, like, how to prepare. But when you make those decisions, like, I kind of factor in how to prepare into the decision itself of if I go home. Because, like, I give myself, when I estimate, like, time to go home, like, I give myself... Each day, like, I take out to count two travel days, for instance. I don't take that into account in terms of, like, time that I'd be relaxing or with my family. So, like, if you hypothetically had, like, seven calendar days to go off and visit your family, I would assume two of those seven would be travel days because generally if you're making the decision to or not to go back to your parents or your family members, 
um, or your biological family, um, you're generally not living nearby. Um, so the travel to and from is something that I always take into account in terms of like the decision to go home. So like if you have seven days, calendar days off, two of those days, for instance, would be devoted to travel time. So that leaves five other days. So when I think about if I'm going to go home and whether or not it's going to be feasible for me, it comes down to like, during that time frame when I'm there, like what's going on? Is it the holidays? Is there something specific during that specific holiday season, such as like a death or an event that would make it, um, that would make this harder than other thing, other times, or is it just a fairly normal, whatever you consider normal <laughs> holiday season. And then I always estimate based on those things, how long after I would need to recover. So hypothetically, like, if you have the seven calendar days, two days are taken up by travel and say, hypothetically, like I need two days to recover for three days of interaction with my family, then like that seven days would be enough for a visit to happen. And I would only be focused on those are the three days that I am there and not allow myself to be kind of convinced to stay longer, come earlier or anything like that, because I know based on what my schedule, what my time off is, I can mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, like handle that amount of time of misgendering, being not called the right name and all those other things. Um, so if in the event, like I only had five calendar days, that would leave three days. So two for travel, that would leave three days to recover and then also spend with family. So like, Five days may not be the most reasonable thing, like, because if we were to take just, even if it was just, like, one day, if it took two days for me to recover, then we're already up against that five-day window. So, in terms of, like, the decision of going home or not, I factor in a recovery time, which I think that some people don't think about, um, because when I do these things and have these interactions. I try to be intentional about making sure that I take care of myself um, mentally and spiritually, emotionally, and physically during that time because it's a stressful thing. And when I make those decisions, like, I have to factor in all those things. And if it's not going to be a healthy situation for me to travel, spend time, and recover, if I don't have that much time, then the decision is I don't go, if it makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. So let's say that all the timing works out and you decide to go. Um, what are some of the things that you do to, to prepare yourself? You know, you're saying that you, you need to make sure that you're taking care of yourself even while you're there. So how do you prepare to make sure that you can stay sane with family that don't support you for three days, five days? So the one of the primary ways that I kind of do this is evaluate, like, do I have to stay with family? Because in some circumstances, like, you may have other options. Like, you could stay with a friend that is affirming or other things like that. And that makes it more, well, it makes it easier in terms of coping because you have a place to get away from the situation. Mm -hmm. Um, So if I were to be staying with a friend, I could deal with it for a longer term versus then 
I was staying with my parents. Um, so that kind of factors into those things in terms of preparing to take care of yourself, like pre-planning things that you can do to take care of yourself versus just being like, oh, I'll figure it out at that moment. Um, because a lot of times when right. you're just trying to figure out things in that moment, you aren't necessarily doing the most effective thing for yourself or your health, if that makes sense. I think that planning ahead of time is important and also expecting the worst and hoping for the best is also one of the bigger things I do in terms of like mentally preparing. Like I hope that my parents will, for instance, like use Alfie or use they, them pronouns, but I know that that's not where they're at. And when I factor that in, like, I'm like, okay, when I think about those things, like, how am I going to react at times if things escalate? Because there's a different, there's a uh, discussion that happens, for instance, especially like you talk about political climate nowadays, right? When you're working with a family mm-hmm. that is oftentimes incredibly polar opposite from what you believe, the little things can trigger you. So always have exit plans, exit strategies. Um, don't allow yourself to be cornered. So like, for instance, like, when I visit my family, I'm never going to fly. I will always drive because I need to have that out, for instance, to know that I can walk away for whatever reason. So in terms of preparing, like that's important for preparing for mental health. So I know that I have a way to walk away um, if it gets too much because sometimes there are small triggers that happen that you don't anticipate. Um, so always having like an emergency plan, I think is incredibly important when you're entering in these situations, if you make the decision to go home, um, because your parents, your family members, um, can be as well intentioned as much as possible. And it can still go horribly wrong. Uh, so I would say that's probably one of the most important things. I love that you put it that way, that that the intention can be really, really good, but that it isn't always necessarily not harmful. Um, I think we forget so often that uh, good intent can still have bad impact. Uh, So thank you for framing it that way. Uh, I'm also curious, uh, you know, you, you set up a pretty good situation for yourself when you're there. You make sure that you have your car so you can leave when you need to. You make sure that you have the the prayer space, the living space that you need. Um, So when you go home in those days of recovery that you mentioned earlier, what, what do you do? How do you get back to yourself? Um, For me, I spend a lot of time playing with my cat (laughs) because he is a very good stress relief in terms of like, he'll just look adorable and it makes me happy. Um, So like, it's important. Cuddles are always great. So for me, like that's one of the things that I use. Um, I do also use like writing and if I know that like things are going to be hard because it's surrounded by like a crisis or an emergency or something like that, that I had to go home for, um, I make sure like I have therapy, therapy pre-scheduled for instance, like I'll be like, this is when I get home, like back to where I'm living, wherever that is. Um, I am going to schedule an appointment with my therapist the day after so that I already have something built in to my recovery time that allows me to process that should that be needed. Because the worst part is having to 
like wait to process something that happened if you need it sooner rather than later. Because like if you can't process it in my experience immediately, then it just kind of sits there and festers and like kind of gets worse and worse and worse. Um, so even if like I were to come back and not have a therapy uh, appointment scheduled, for instance, like, and I even got one like the next week, <clears throat> if I was coming back and then having to go like, for instance, directly back to work, like I wouldn't be able to fully be present at my job. So doing those things that allow for me to recover from the interactions that I have, whether that be like through therapy, playing with my cat, playing games, because I do that as well, reading, writing, doing spiritual work, um, whatever it is. Like, those are the things that help me, but I intentionally do those things, and I intentionally plan those things in such a way that those are my primary focus on the days that I get back. Not, for instance, like, cleaning the house. Like, right. <laughs> like of course, like, you're going to probably have to do laundry. But, like, outside of, like, absolute necessities of, like, making sure you have food and that you have clean clothes when you go back to work, like, don't do, like, don't plan to do, like, house chores um, during that time frame. Unless house chores are genuinely, like, therapeutic for you as an individual. Like, they're not for me at all. I hate them. Um, so, like, but if you find comfort in the repetition of, like, cleaning or anything like that, like, then schedule those things as long as they are something that allow you to process things subconsciously or consciously and allow you to feel relaxed, then go ahead and do those things. For me, cleaning's not that, so I'm never going to do that. But uh, for some people, it is. Some people find the process enjoyable and find the outcome enjoyable. So for them, that may be a smart way for them to schedule the time after spending time in an adverse situation such as holidays with the family. I am 100% an anxious cleaner, so I would be one of the <laughs> ones that would set up cleaning time to control my world again. Um, yeah, and, and that's one of those things where it's like, you. if that, that works for you, that's an important thing. And, like, when you are first, like, taking these steps, like, if it's the first time you've come out and the first time you've been with your family, give yourself a lot of time. I would say overestimate and do trial and error in terms of things that may or may not work. Like you're an anxious cleaner. So like, you know, that going into that situation, but maybe you didn't know that before coming out hypothetically. And when you get home, you find suddenly cleaning is helpful. Then like, don't stop yourself from doing that. Does that make sense? Like if you find something helpful, don't be like, Oh, that's not what I'm supposed to be doing. Like, be open to the experience of what is going to help in that moment and not. Yeah, that makes solid sense. Definitely kind of chasing the things that are helpful as long as they're not in some way destructive to you. Yeah. Self-destruction is never awesome. Or others. No, it's awful. <laughs> but it's just... Destruction in general. <laughs> well, unless it's like, you know, helpful destruction, like, you know, go Created. to one of those... Yeah. Go into those, like, one of those destruction rooms, like, you pay... I always wanted to do one of those things where, like, you pay to go in and destroy things. I would totally yeah. be okay with that. That sounds, like a, <laughs> that sounds like a solid way to recover from family trauma to me. Yeah, like, it's it's a physical, like, action you can take that doesn't hurt anybody. 
Well, except for maybe your wallet if, like, you do it a lot. But Because <laughs> I hear those things are expensive, so. Right. All right, so let's say that we decide either the time is too short, our family is too much, whatever the case, we decide not to go home. Mm-hmm. How do you have the conversation with yourself and with your family of not going? So the conversation, like, I try to be as realistic internally as possible with myself as to why this isn't feasible so that I myself can have my reasons. Like, I don't have to articulate those reasons to my family or whoever I was going to see. Um, I just have to know, like, in my own brain, I have to be able to prioritize those things so that I feel grounded and convicted in the fact that I'm not doing this. And it's not the best decision for me. If that makes sense. So, like, I make sure that I am fully 110%, like, this is the situation that is the best for me. Um, and I don't have to have those reasons or give them to anybody. <laughs> like, I think that's also a really important thing to remember. Because you don't owe a family a reason for not visiting. Like, I don't have the vacation time. It's a wonderful excuse, right? Like, oh, I can't do that because I don't have the vacation time stored up or whatever it is. Um, And then stick to that as the reason. Like, whatever reason you give them, you just... And, like, it's you're not lying when you do... Because a lot of people are like, well, I don't like lying to my family. And, like, saying I don't have the vacation time, for instance, isn't lying, it's telling the truth because part of the use of your vacation time is ensuring that you're in a headspace where you can, at the end of vacation time, go back to your position that you're in in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. So just because, like, in someone else's mind, five days may be enough to travel to see family and then recover, if it's not for you, then you don't have enough vacation time. So being realistic in the aspect of what is the reality? Like, if I don't have vacation time, I don't have vacation time. I can't make vacation time appear out of nowhere, right? Um, so, right. like, if that's the reason you give your family, you don't have to be like, oh, well, I need three days to recover from you. Like, you don't have to explain that to them. <laughs> like, they don't need to know the intricacies of how you are spending your vacation time. Say, oh, I have to take it to do x around the house or whatever um mm-hmm. and or if they really push you and i think that one of the most com- one of the most important things about navigating these situations if you do decide no i'm not going home it's not the healthiest thing for me is to just not let yourself not doubt yourself because in a lot, in some situations, like, I'm grateful that this isn't my situation, but I do know multiple people that, like, if they say, no, I'm not coming home, parents, family members will try to get manipulative, like, guilt trips and things like that. Oh, but this person really wants to see you, and, like, all of these other things. Right. Um, and you need to know going in that that can happen, so that when it does, because if you you probably have a good sense of if that's an individual generally will probably have a good sense of if that's what's likely to happen when you say no to your family, <laughs> um, be prepared and just feel reassured that I am doing this for myself and for my own health and for my continued 
ability to flourish and succeed. Um, I know that guilt trips can kind of get in the way of a lot of things. And that's incredibly damaging and hard. Um, and I think it's also important to remember that, like, you don't owe your parents, like, you in a general term, right? You don't owe your parents a visit. You don't. Like, maybe some people who are parents would disagree with that, (laughs) but at the end of the day, like, you are your own person. And if your parents are coming across as, like, well, you owe me a visit because you're my child and I brought you into the world, like, that's not the healthiest parental child dynamic to have to begin with. Like, this idea of, like, you owe me. So, walking in and being mm-hmm. realistic in that situation of that's what you're going to face, I think is incredibly important. And just knowing, that's why I say for me, like, it's important to know the reasons why I'm doing what I'm doing when I'm going in. Like, if my decision is, no, it's not healthy because I don't have enough time to recover, like, know that that is what you're going in and know that you're going to expect pushback and equip yourself to be able to handle that in terms of like, um, having people that you can talk to, to rely on. If you are in a relationship and in a partnership, um, make sure that your partner is on the same page that you are. Like, that's an important one as well. Like, if, like, I'm single, so I don't have to deal with that, but if one partner, like, gives in and says, fine, we'll come, then that just ruins everything. So, like, communication ahead of time, if right there's more than one person that's going to potentially be pressured, um, is important. And, like, you can say, oh, I don't have the vacation time to your family, or, you know, if you're traveling a long distance, I don't have the money, like, whatever reason. Of course, sometimes then they'll be like, oh, here's the money. So that can lead to different issues. <laughs> but know also when you go into these situations, you don't owe anybody a reason. Like, I can just say, no, I'm not doing this. I don't have to give a reason. I can just say no. And I think we've been, like, kind of taught by society, especially when it comes to family that we have to justify why we're doing everything. And at the end of the day, you don't. You can just say no. So if you don't want to come up with a reason or anything else, you can just say no. And if people start pushing, just say, this is my decision. I've decided no. Um, and sometimes that's the easiest thing so that you're not having to like keep track of what you did or didn't tell people. Because sometimes, like, I found that, like, when these situations kind of happen and you feel uncomfortable with your family and you feel uncomfortable saying no to your family, you start making up reasons, like, whether they're true or not, like, you're then having to keep track of the reasons. And if you're having to keep track of the reasons, that in and of itself is a very stressful thing, like, what did I tell my brother why I couldn't come? I can't remember. Like, suddenly that we're having, I'm having to mentally backtrack to remember those things. Um, so I've gotten a lot more comfortable in terms of just thinking this doesn't fit in my schedule. I can't do it. Like, 
I, as a pastor, I kind of have the luck of like holiday seasons, like being like, oh, you know, Christmas, even Christmas is a pretty right, big right. deal to a pastor, like to a congregation in Christian faith. So like, they can't complain about it because it's like, I got this. <laughs> um, so like, I have, I've gotten lucky in that terms of that, <laughs> but I also think just being comfortable saying no. And I think I've probably said that multiple times, but I don't think that that can be said enough because it's hard to say no to your family and right. to your loved ones. No, that's awesome. And I, I love how, um, throughout what you're saying, it, it's that you need to put yourself first, that, that we so often are told that our family comes first. And mm-hmm. in some ways it does, but we can't put our family first if we don't put ourselves first. Well, and then, like, there's this whole idea of, like, you can't um, pour from an empty cup type thing. <laughs> um, if you are too right. drained, you can't have a successful relationship with your family. And I think that also, especially when it comes to, like, anyone who is navigating being LGBTQIA+, and a family that's not as accepting, like, there's so many layers to it. Like, having to unpack, like, what you yourself feel about your sexual orientation or gender. You're then having to unpack what your family feels about it and how you bridge those things. And all those things are so tied up that some people are like, oh, you owe it to your family to visit them or to explain this all to them. But the thing is, is that my parents or your parents, like the parents that had you made the decision to have you, right? You didn't decide, oh, this is what I want as a baby. Um, so it's one of those things where it's like, at some point in time, you have to prioritize your own well-being, even if your family's sitting there saying, oh, well, you owe it to us, or you should be doing this, or any of those other things. Um, because you are solely reacting to the situation you were born into, and you can't change that, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So let's say that we have gotten through the ickiness of deciding not to go. We have told our family whatever reason we needed to that we aren't coming home. What do you do instead for the holidays? Um, Find people that would be supportive of you. Like, there's a reason why in the LGBTQIA plus community, like, chosen family is such a huge thing. Because chosen family is what allows right. us to have those relationships that allow us to build the family-like relationships. Like, that's why... So, chosen family is such a big thing to the LGBTQIA plus community because it allows us to build families that are accepting of us in the face of families that often are not. So, you find your chosen family. You work towards finding your friends that are supportive of you and that walk alongside you when you make these hard decisions. And spending time with them. Like, my best friend I've known since we met between 5th and 6th grade back in the day. Um, and, like, she has welcomed me into her family, and her parents, ha- her mom and, and grandmother have as well. Like, I will be over there for Christmas or Thanksgiving or any of the holidays. And things like that. So finding those chosen family members that you can have those types of relationships with is important, I've found. And I think it's also important when you make those decisions in the wake of making the decision is to give yourself time to grieve 
the fact that this isn't the way it should be and deal with the fact that this hurts and it sucks. Um, and don't automatically skip to the whole, it's going to be better or I'm going to spend time with X person, like for instance. Um, so I think it's important to like give yourself time to grieve and acknowledge that this isn't the situation it should be. But also, once you get to that point and you can do those things and acknowledge that, be like, what can I do to build a family? Like, and when you build that family, that'll be based on the people that support you, love you, and accept you. And those are the people that you'd be spending holidays with, ideally, um, outside of that. And sometimes, unfortunately, it does come down to, like you're by yourself for the holidays, which sucks. (laughs) Um, And it has happened a few times for me. And I think that when that has happened, like, personally for me, like, I've turned around and, like, I found local community events where, like, I could help serve other people during the holidays, like, for Christmas Day or Thanksgiving Day. Um, Like, being able to be with others and serve them because they are sometimes just as alone as you are. Um, if they're like houseless, for instance. So I've found that to be beneficial for myself personally. Other people's may not. Um, but I've found it helpful to be like intentional about creating family relationships, um, for my chosen family and then also going out of my way to help others during the time if I can't be with my friends and family at that time. I love that. So in all of this, no matter what you choose to do, Alfie, what are some of the, the biblical and spiritual things that uh, ground you and nurture you as you're struggling with what to do with family over the holidays? So one of the things that I always kind of latch onto in terms of like spiritual and biblical grounding is like, the reminder that I am who God created me to be. And it's not necessarily unique to the holidays, um, but it's something that is incredibly hard during the holidays, like to remember those things when you see everyone else being like, oh, I'm going to go get to see my family or whatever, and you're not in that situation. And there have been times where like, I felt like the outsider in a lot of ways um, because I haven't been able to have those things. So, when that's happened, I've always just kept, it's been a reminder thing for me, like, that I'm created in the image of God. And, like, my my favorite biblical passage is the Ethiopian eunuch, and how Philip, like, baptizes this eunuch, this eunuch who was, in all likelihood, rejected by, rejected in the temple because he was a eunuch. And when he had gone on the spiritual pilgrimage, and on the eunuch's way back to Africa, this idea of, like, God was there, and God sees the eunuch for who the eunuch is, and celebrates who the eunuch is. I think that's always been a very powerful idea to me, that, like, even after the rejection um, of not being able to potentially go home for the holidays or have the best relationship with your family, is the fact that even when all that's going on, God still celebrates you for who you are and sees you for who you are. Um, it's always been a very powerful thing for me because it's a reminder of like, 
I can't choose my family, but God knows me and chooses to bridge that gap between of all the failures that I've had and still loves me no matter what's happened. And God celebrates me in being genderqueer and pansexual. God celebrates the fact that this is who I am and this is who God created me to be. Um, I've always kind of found that very, very comforting. Um, and as a reassurance during the time when everyone else is oftentimes so happy and you don't feel that way because of your family situation. Um, I've always found that to be very, very reassuring. And then Psalm 23, as cliche as it is, um, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of the death and like all those other aspects, like the idea that like, even when there are moments when it's hard because I can't necessarily rely on my family to support me or celebrate who I am with me, that God is there every step of the way. So I think those are kind of the things that I find biblically reassuring and scripturally reassuring. And like, that's helped to guide me in the times when it's been harder to navigate holidays, celebrations as well. Super helpful, Alfie. So um, I can't remember if I asked you this as part of the ask for the episode or not, but uh, you, if you do consent, are uh, part of two episodes, not just one. So you'll have this uh, non-firming family episode, but also we're doing a Christmas Day mixtape okay. um, in which uh, we are doing a series of stories about people's queerest Christmases. Are you cool with being part of that one, too? I'm not sure I've had a queer enough Christmas to classify. All right. Well, let me let me <laughs> I'll ask think, the I'll ask, think and good. we'll see. I'll, I'll think uh, about it. Like, I have no problem being a part of it, but I'm gonna have to think about exactly what like the queerest Christmas. Like, is it a personal story that you're looking for, or just like? It can be personal story. I can also ask it. Uh, I can frame it from like the queerest Christmas that you could imagine having. Like, what would be the the most uh, desired queer Christmas. Um, I'm trying to think. Or even a Christmas story uh, in which you were particularly affirmed, maybe by chosen family instead of uh, biological family. So, like, if I had you choose the, like, the queerest Christmas that'd be amazing. Um, I would say probably one of the things would be that I like I'm around those who support me and love me. Um, because unfortunately, like so many of them are spread out through the world at this point in time. Like, right, then we're not all in the same location. So actually, being able to be together with all of them, I think, would be great. Um, it would be incredibly amazing to be able to have. Um, and I think, however, like, cliche or basic this may sound, like, being able to just be with people versus, like, any sort of specific event. Um, because as I've kind of struggled with, like, what this means to have a not, to not have a very fully affirming family, I've kind of come in a lot of ways to the conclusion of, like, that matters a lot, relationships matter a lot more for me 
than it would necessarily for other people because of that. I don't have anything, like, really, like, I'm kind of boring in some ways. Like, <laughs> just, I'm pretty easy to make happy in most cases. Like, you know, I just rather, I would like to be around people who love me and care about me and support me, and that would be probably my best Christmas story. <laughs> no, that's, that's awesome, and I think really helpful, because I think, uh, people tend to look at queer folk as, like, queerest Christmas would obviously be rainbow tree and glitter everywhere and well of course i want a rainbow tree (laughs) (laughs) sometimes we just like the old school hallmark movie right like sometimes we just want to be with people we love Mm. in a nice quiet christmas um so no that's that's an excellent desired christmas story thank you like i think i've seen some of those like i don't remember where they are they're the white christmas trees that like when you turn them on have um like the rainbow, the rainbow like, lights. Yeah, I'm like that. Would I would totally be on board with that. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, but it's, it's with, like rainbow tinsel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and it's like I've never been very much like a holiday holiday person. Like very, so it's just one of those things where it's like for me, it's also like I've never been much about decorating, and like part of that's probably how I grew up because my family never was. Like, we never decorated the house. Like, I think we stopped having a Christmas tree, like, when I was in middle school. <laughs> so, like, my family, I've never, like, become tied to those, like, physical examples of what Christmas are, is. It's always been about who I'm with. Um, and for some people, like, those physical representations are incredibly important. And that's something that provides comfort and reassurance to them. And, you know, more power to them, and if that's what they need, then that's the important part. It's just not something I've ever really identified with. Fair enough. Alfie, that's all the questions I have for you today. Do you have anything else that you'd like to leave us with? There was one thing that I was thinking about, like, about, like, safety-wise. Like, so, for instance, like, I was thinking one of the things, like, because I recently had a situation with uh, one of my friend's nephews, who had come out and how he was struggling with his family and like they like put a lot of conditions and he he came out as gay and they put a lot of conditions on like you can't do you can't see men when you're in the house like when you're under our roof and all those other things and he went off to college and he was talking to me he's like I don't know like he's like I want to figure out like he kind of came and discover and explore who I am at college. And he's just like, I don't know how to safely do that. Because he's like, the college closes the dorms over the holidays. Because a lot of colleges, if you're not in, like, the apartments, will close, like, the dorms during Thanksgiving and Christmas breaks, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the things that, when I was talking to him, that he that we kind of found out together was, like, the college he was going to, for instance, had one specific dorm that would stay open at all times, for instance. So I, one thing that I would recommend for anyone who's kind of moving out onto their own for the first time um, is to be able to ask the questions of, like, if you're going to college, for instance, and you have to live on campus in the dorms, like, are there ones that stay open all the time? And those types of questions, because, like, when you, like, 
I've seen in a lot of youth, like, when they've kind of moved away from their parents for the first time, and then they have to keep, like, in a lot of ways, code switching back and forth. Like, at college, they can be themselves, and then at home, they can't. It creates a lot of crisis internally. And, like, I went through this as well um, when I wasn't out to my family. And one of the things that I would have found incredibly helpful is, like, the ability to stay at college for the holidays, for instance. Um, and, like, just exploring what that looks like if, like, you're going to college and you're explore those things like would it be more feasible for you to have off-campus housing in an apartment so you wouldn't have to leave um and think kinds of questions like that of trying to figure out how to make it so that you're in the most control as possible of being able to dictate if you go home or not during the holidays is important i think for anybody who is coming out or contemplating coming out or who's trying to explore and figure out what their sexual orientation or gender is create a situation where you are not forced to go back to a family that may or may not be accepting. Cause I know like my first year in college, I was in a dorm that um, closed for Thanksgiving and Christmas. And like I was, it was, I was, it was the first time I was away from my family for a large portion of time. And I was exploring exactly what my gender and sexual orientation was at that point in time and having to go from an environment where I could reflect and think about that into a situation where I had to kind of like go back to who I quote unquote was or who my parents expected me to be at that point in time was incredibly hard um, emotionally. So figuring out in those situations of when you are trying to explore and learn these things, how is it that you can keep the most controls possible over the situation and allowing yourself to be as safe as possible, if that makes sense. Uh, it makes solid sense. Always set yourself up for as much success as possible. Yeah, and the and success, I, I don't necessarily just view it as just success, though. It's also space. Because success, gotcha. I don't know if it's the, I guess I'm trying to think about how to phrase it better. Like, it's about giving yourself space to find out who you are, because if you're not fully, if someone's not fully settled on who they are, it's nearly impossible for you to represent yourself to others. And you feel confident in entering into those spaces of being able to come out. Because you need to be able to give yourself time to discover that. So giving yourself as much time as possible to discover that versus having external factors force you to and from like a safe versus unsafe situation. Um, I think it's more of kind of what I'm thinking of versus success. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. All right, Alfie. Well, thank you so much for sharing your experience and your advice with us today. We hope that anybody who's listening and is having difficulty with family around the holidays can take something home that will make the Yuletide just a little bit more gay. Thank you, Alfie, for sharing your vulnerability, wisdom, and the grace that you show yourself. Your intentionality and self-love and self-care is an important witness to us all. You are helping each of us embrace who God made us to be. Katie will be back later this month to host a conversation about chosen family. 
Katie and Alfie, you've helped us imagine a more gay Yuletide. Prayer for Choosing a Holiday Path God of grace, you promise to be with me even as I walk through the shadowy places. Sometimes family gatherings at the holidays are shadowy places for me. It can feel like I'm on the underside of all the Christmas lights. Keep me grounded in your love of me so that I can decide what is best for me this holiday season. Whether I choose to walk a shadowy path or go a different way, grant me the support and strength I need to make it through. All paths have their challenges. Remind me of the people who love me, especially when people I love don't affirm me. Help me to embody your love and grace this Yuletide and always because nothing can keep your love from me. Amen. Thank you for joining us at All Places Together. If you heard yourself or someone you know in these stories today, we hope you heard God too. If you've loved this episode and want more, there are several ways for you to engage more with Make the Yuletide Gay, Technicolored Ministries, and All Places Together. Everything I'm going to talk about is going to be linked in the show notes. Technicolor Ministries is hosting an advent calendar on their website. Starting on December 1, there will be content each day leading up to Christmas. All Places Together is hosting the Make the Yuletide Game merch sale. Also this week, you'll be able to order Christmas decor for you and your loved ones. 10% of the proceeds will be donated to Reconciling Works. Check out our social feeds at All Places Together to see when the sale launches. Both of our communities together are hosting a Blue Christmas communion service on Wednesday, December 21st at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central. You can RSVP to get the Zoom link on the upcoming events tab on Technicolor Ministries website. And if you're a first-time listener to All Places Together, I'm so thankful you're here. We've got over 70 podcast episodes that celebrate how God loves us wherever, whoever, and however we are. I really hope you'll consider listening to more of the catalog. And if you need a recommendation for a place to jump in, let me know. I'd love to help. I'm ever grateful to our mission partners, the Virginia Synod, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, and supporters like you who share generously with All Places Together. Your financial contributions enable this ministry to keep growing and sharing the love of God. If you've not made a gift before and you'd like to do so, you can go to our website, allplacestogether.org. Scroll to the bottom where it says Give Here, click that button, and you'll be redirected to our giving platform. 
We know it can be hard to give financially. We celebrate all of the ways you share the stories of APT with the people in your life and engage with us throughout the week. I hope that you'll share some part of this Make the Yuletide Gay series with someone you love. Whether that's the podcast, the advent calendar, inviting them to come to communion with you, or even getting them something from the store. After all, it's the holidays in full color and everyone's invited. Until next time, remember that God loves you and is with you wherever, whoever, and however you are. Thank you.